Welcome to Empower Half an Hour, a mental health podcast that brings firsthand interviews and testimonies to you. Welcome to Empower Half an Hour. My name is Brandon Spatz and I'm your host. Joining us today is Michael Schwarter. Michael is the coordinator for Clubhouse Indiana Coalition and has been a faculty member for Clubhouse International since 2021. Before taking his role with the coalition, Michael worked for 14 years at Carriage House in Indiana as a Clubhouse generalist. Then he transitioned to a team lead position Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, so this is a Clubhouse International themed uh, episode that we've had um, several on this channel. Uh, so I always just go over a little uh, kind of a recap. So our first episode with Clubhouse International was Jack Yatsko, the COO of the organization. And Jack spoke about uh, what a clubhouse is, how to start a clubhouse, and some of the benefits when we look at having local clubhouses. Um, our next one was with Ryan Smith, the clubhouse generalist from Magnolia Clubhouse, uh, where Ryan explained clubhouse uh, generalist position, what kind of the rules are. Um, the way the generalist role is different from the clinical approach and the clinical type of role and what the media unit looks like at their clubhouse. Our third episode was with Anna Sackett-Roundtree, the Director of Communications. Anna spoke about creating a thriving clubhouse, ways to use media to advance the clubhouse, and the importance of using consistent branding to grow the clubhouse model. Today's episode, we will look at Indiana Clubhouse Coalition and their ability to show resiliency in difficult times. Let's go ahead and get started. Happy to. Yeah. So um, this story kind of starts um, around the year 2000, 2001, uh, then going into 2002 when uh, my mentors, uh, Andy Wilson and Tom Weir uh, from Carriage House, uh, became the directors at Carriage House uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, Andy and Tom had come from uh, Independent Center uh, training base, obviously. Uh, I think most of us know that. Uh, so uh, they were curious about, hey, are there any other clubhouses in this state? I don't know much about Indiana. Let me let me get the temperature of clubhouse around here. And what they found uh, was that there was about 24 or so uh, programs that were taking at least some part from the clubhouse model and trying to make a program out of it. Um, the vast majority of them were not clubhouses as, as you and I would recognize them, but they had some, you know, maybe some part like, oh, we really like the voluntary nature or uh, we like to have a work order day, but maybe they weren't doing everything. Uh, so uh, Andy and Tom uh, helped to create this coalition. So by 2002, they had said, you know what, guys, we're going to make an organization that's called uh, the Indiana Clubhouse Coalition. That's what we were called back then. And uh, let's get everybody in the same room. Let's talk about what we're doing and share kind of where we're at with the whole thing, whether or not we really want to do, uh, at the time, certified clubhouse, now accredited clubhouse. 
So uh, 2002, people come into the room, and, and a lot of those folks uh, that were running programs around the state, the clubhouse just wasn't their thing. Uh, you know, they were much more comfortable being uh, drop-in centers, basically. And that's okay. Uh, but there was about 13 or so that were really interested in uh, joining the clubhouse model and, and uh, going with that evidence-based uh, clubhouse model programming that we, we know and love and, and we know is so, so helpful, works so well. Uh, so that was the coalition, effectively. 2002, uh, 13 or so uh, programs of varying levels of success and development that were sharing uh, ideas and problems and problem solving with each other about how to correct those problems and uh, really uh, making that coalition work for the first time. So that, that was kind of the beginning of it. Um, a lot of the clubhouses didn't have employment. A lot of them, uh, you know, the the again, the... Uh, membership wasn't necessarily 100% voluntary, but uh, they liked the clubhouse model and they wanted to do better and they wanted to learn more. So that was the beginning. Uh, we we incorporated as a not-for-profit all the way back then in 2002. I wasn't even, I didn't even know what a clubhouse was back then. So this is way before my time. Uh, but yeah, 2002. That's very interesting. Yeah, especially when you were discussing talking about how some of them weren't buying into that model yet. Um, you know, it's it's a very unique model uh, that has so many benefits, but also uh, some challenges. You know, when getting buy-in from not only the the clubhouse uh, staff but uh, members itself wanting to adapt to a new model. Absolutely, I I agree with that one hundred percent. Um, but we know that it's very effective when done well. Um, but I don't, I don't begrudge anybody for saying, whoa, that sounds like a lot of work and that's going to cost a lot of money because it probably will be both. So, uh, but we know that obviously the, the benefit is there. So. Absolutely. Um, so what kind of, uh, was the purpose? Uh, I know you, you, uh, mentioned some of it with the coalition, but how were the, uh, goals, started to grow the clubhouse model within the state of indiana at that time sure yeah so um i think a lot of uh coalitions that are just kind of really in their their beginning uh growth period right now would, would probably uh uh recognize this it's it's a lot of directors of strong clubhouses uh kind of volunteering some of their time and effort and energy to to bring along some of these these programs that are maybe not quite there yet maybe need a little bit more help so uh, the structure of it, very, you know, I guess by and large was uh, clubhouses that were struggling were reaching out to clubhouses that were more established and had been, you know, accredited a couple times. And there was just sharing of, of best practices and uh, an opportunity to kind of uh, share the, the difficulties and have somebody that gets it to listen to you and say, oh, man, we, we can't get TEs. We don't know how to do TEs. We don't have enough staff. How are we going to do it? And they're just be this conversation that happened um, around whatever issue it was, be it TE, be it the work order day, be it, oh, my auspice agency's uh, not letting us have control over the budget, whatever it was, a group of people just problem solving with each other uh, and kind of commiserating from time to time about how difficult it can be to, to start up and run a clubhouse. So that was largely it. Uh, there was also information sharing going on as far as what we knew was happening at the state. So our directors were kind of connected to our local representatives, uh, some people down at the state house, and uh, we were able to to get some relationships going with folks from Medicaid and DMHA, and ultimately we were able to get Medicaid reimbursement 
Um, not long after that coalition, uh, the Indiana Clubhouse Coalition, Clubhouse Indiana started out. Uh, so that was a really big win for Indiana was to be able to build Medicaid and still do accredited clubhouse. That was huge. Uh, but as we'll get into here in a second, that that kind of had its own problems as well. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the clubhouse uh, model and billing Medicaid can be very tricky, as many coalitions have been you know, finding out and also just individual clubhouses as well. Um Tell me a little bit about the the problems you were having, um, you know, with the the billing codes and um, just getting it steady enough to be able to to utilize the state's uh, resources. Sure. So initially, it was an advocacy battle to even be able to build Medicaid at all because uh, we were very much saying we're not a clinical program or not a clinical model, and the folks at the state were saying, well, then you shouldn't build clinical billing codes for, for being reimbursed and we said, well, yeah, but we don't have anything else to bill. We don't, we don't know where else we would fit in. So they had us kind of in that, that, uh, uh, box of, uh, Medicaid rehab option, MRO. Um, so that was, that was how we survived for a while. Um, now it's, again, the language when you're billing Medicaid, it, it's clinical, it's, it's kind of gross. Uh, it's hard to get members involved or are excited about doing their own notes when it all just reads like, you know, like something out of their doctor's office or their caseworker's office. Uh, so that, that was a problem. And we knew that, uh, early on, but, uh, as time went on, uh, it looked like there was, um, there was some word coming from the state that, uh, they were going to shrink the Medicaid budget in Indiana. That was going to happen. Uh, there was kind of word that had come down from the Fed that the state of Indiana interpreted as, wow, we really need to shore up our, our Medicaid billing. Uh, we don't want to get sued or have to do paybacks or anything like that. So let's just cut off all, all the stuff that looks like it could be uh, a, potentially a payback of some kind. Uh, so uh, the governor's office here in Indiana at the time, this is uh, 2009 again, uh, went to DMHA and said, uh, hey, we need you to cut the fat here. So uh, DMHA um, took it upon itself to look at uh, some of the reimbursed uh, programs. Uh, it, you know, as far as Medicaid is concerned, uh, the Office of Medicaid Planning and Procedures did the same thing. And they came up with MRO code 128 as a perfect way uh, to cut some money out of the budget. And uh, that just so happened to be the Medicaid code that all the clubhouses in the state we're billing uh, for reimbursement at the time. So that was 2009, and we got word. Uh, not long after that, we kind of sprang into action. So by that time, I, I was there. I was working in, as a generalist at Carriage House, and word had come that, man, that there's they're going to try to take our billing code away. We got we to gotta spring into action. So all the coalition clubhouses uh, started to work on uh, these binders of member stories. Uh, we wanted to tell very directly, uh, you know, to DMHA, uh, to anybody that would listen, really, to Medicaid, hey, this is this is why this matters. These are the lives that are being affected by clubhouses. And and this is, you know, what's going to happen if, if that goes away. These people won't have their communities to go to. So we tried to make that case very clear in, in the way we know best, which is to let members speak, uh, let members tell their stories, let members do the advocating as well as the staff. 
Uh, so I remember I was in the clerical unit uh, putting together all these binders and, and uh, poking holes and helping people write their stories and all that stuff. But that was happening at all the coalition clubhouses at the time. It just so happened that Carriage House was the largest, um, but everybody was following our lead and, and doing the same thing, uh, going on the same page. Uh, we sent that to the Commission on Mental Health here in the state. Uh, we sent it to the governor's office. We sent it to DMHA, uh, gave a copy to everybody. Uh, we attended um, some of the public meetings uh, that were open to us uh, as, as far as the decision-making about changes to the Medicaid code. Uh, we advocated there as well. And lo and behold, uh, despite everything we did, even though I think we did an incredible job, uh, and I'm still proud of, of what we did, and it's been, what, 15 years later or so, um, we, didn't, we weren't able to be successful in that advocacy, and they pulled that funding regardless. So <clears throat> what was 13 clubhouses across the state uh, by 2010 became one, and that was Carriage House. We were the only ones that were left standing. And the moral of that to me is, uh, and I know this is really boring, getting really excited to talk about money here, but when it comes to clubhouse budgets, we got to diversify. We, we've got to be uh, creative, how we're bringing in money. We, we just can't rely on one source uh, of income to uh, ensure our solvency long term. So uh, that's why Carriage House made it and the other ones didn't. I think the other clubhouses at the time were relying solely on Medicaid or uh, the vast majority of their budget was Medicaid and they just couldn't couldn't exist uh, without it. Being able to utilize the member testimonials to create a testimonial binder showing the impact clubhouses makes on its members is a great way to try to secure government funding for both the coalition and its clubhouses. Even at the end of the day, not getting enough funding, knowing that you gave it everything you could have at the time, is something to really be proud of. You mentioned that Carriage House used more than one method of funding at the time. What were some of the other methods that were being used? Sure. So uh, Carriage House was lucky enough to have uh, two directors. One of them, um, Tom, handles the, pro the programming stuff largely. Um, bottom line for everything is still goes to Andy Wilson, who's the executive director, but uh, Largely, Tom handles a lot of the programmatic stuff over there at, at Carriage House. So that frees up Andy to meet with donors, prospective donors, do a lot of grant writing, uh, really focuses on, on uh, helping managing the board and managing the fundraising that the board does. So really, I think the moral here, uh, at least in our experiences, have a strong board, and a board that's willing to get out there and, and track down money and uh, get the clubhouse connected to everybody in town who, who has uh, money and seems to be interested in mental health. Our board was very successful uh, at that. And man, when I go around the state now in, in this new position as, as the coordinator for the coalition, I, I talk about that a lot. You just can't rely on anything because you never know. Uh, it's best to have a diversified portfolio. I think that's what they say in the, the investment world. Diversified portfolio. That sounds really lame, but I think it's good advice. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's how we were able to make it. And and then the other thing, too, is we had a really good uh, relationship with our, our billing partner, which was a community mental health organization. So in Indiana, you have to uh, have a relationship with uh, a CMHC, a, a community mental health center, uh, in order to bill MRO. And we happened to have a really positive one. And they were able to help us through that, that difficult time, which lasted uh, six years. It wasn't until 2016 that we got the funding back. But 
even before we got the funding back, um, we were still doing the advocacy. Even though the clubhouses had been shuttered all across the state, members from those closed clubhouses were still doing advocacy, still making phone calls, still reaching out, still complaining to DMHA on you know on their their complaint line or whatever. Uh, we were getting uh, reporters from around the state to to write uh, you know op eds and, and stories in their their local papers about what was going on and the folks that were affected. So even though we had lost, uh, we didn't exactly give up either. And in between trying to run a clubhouse and have a robust work order day and and a employment program and education and community sports, all that stuff, we were also focused still long-term goal. Let's bring Medicaid reimbursement or some kind of reimbursement uh, back to Indiana for clubhouses. So um, that happened in, uh, like I said, 2016. Uh, it happened because the year before that, uh, again, my friend Andy Wilson, uh, the director over there, he went to a NAMI conference and he was not excited about it. I remember this vividly. I was asking him, hey, what are you doing next week? You know, you want to you want to hang out after work or whatever? And he said, no, I got to I got to go to this NAMI thing in D.C. I don't really want to go. They want me to say a few things. And I, you know, oh, it's a bummer. I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, good luck or whatever. I hope it goes well. So Andy gets to this conference and is seated uh, next to the wife of the director of Medicaid in Indiana. And that's that's how it happened. We had lobbyists. We did all this stuff. We, we sweat blood trying to convince these people who wouldn't listen to us that we were worth funding, that we were worth supporting. And in the end... Um, Probably along with the advocacy, I think we'd made a stink. People knew, you know, that we were we were uh, we were upset. I think is a nice way of saying it. We were rather upset that there was no funding. Um, but uh, Andy was able to talk to this this person, and she was able to make the connection. And within a year, we had Medicaid. So I, I you know, and I try to think about this lesson all the time. Like all those those opportunities that we have to talk to people about our programs. The opportunities that we have uh, to share about the clubhouse model and how different it is and how special it is, these are not wasted opportunities. Take every one of them you possibly can. Don't get tired of them. I know once you've, you've told the story of your clubhouse 70 or 80 times, it might start to feel kind of robotic, but it's still important uh, to, to share that story with anybody and everybody that would listen because you never know who's going to end up being your ally here. And certainly... Um, Medicaid uh, became our ally, and uh, not long after that, uh, the Department of Mental Health and Addictions, DMHA, who had uh, cut our funding effectively uh, several years prior, uh, also became our ally. And uh, that that good relationship continues to that day. It was just a matter of uh, waiting for the person uh, who didn't like us to leave or be asked to leave or, or whatever it was. Uh, so sometimes you just got to outlive them. I think that's a really um, interesting uh, situation, you know, right place, right time, uh, especially, you know, sitting directly next to, um, you know, her. And uh, you're so right when you, you said um, the, the fact about you never know what the story might, you know, um, what impact it might make. And we see that with so many things with the clubhouse, um, you know, community is just one little presentation can make so much uh, of an impact, especially 
when your coalition might be struggling and it might be um, trying to re, re um, establish itself. So um, that's a fantastic um, thing that happened to get you back going, especially considering that, you know, not long uh, before that, you had one clubhouse to the whole entire coalition's name. Um, and tell me a little bit about how the... Um, increase of clubhouses started um around that time you know once you were able to get the funding again and then also get the the billing code back sure yeah thanks so um a couple things during that period of time between 2010 and 2016 there were two clubhouses that actually opened up uh, even though there wasn't renewable funding for either of them uh which was not a not a smart move as far as i can see but hey they're still around and they're great uh so yeah, uh, Cora Dale House in Goshen, Indiana, and Circle City Clubhouse in Indianapolis both opened when there was no renewable funding at all. Uh, one opened because uh, the hospital system that was in the area really wanted to do something, and they'd heard about Clubhouse and were fans, and they were going to support the thing anyway. They were going to make it happen regardless. Um, they knew they needed it in their community, and they wanted to be on the cutting edge of recovery for severe mental illness, which was awesome. So that was that was really cool and then the other one uh circle city uh there was a generous donor who was able to get behind uh a, a working group that had already kind of started was able to purchase a building and, and put some some money forward to hire some staff and and really get the thing going so there was a little bit of growth during that that six-year period but when 2016 happened and the billing code came out there was like a notification i think in, in several publications uh, focused at you know mental health recovery, that there that clubhouse was going to be reimbursed again, and immediately we had like the phone was ringing. Um, some of the clubhouses that had transitioned away to drop-in centers because there was no reimbursement for them wanted to come back into the fold. They said, you know what, we can get paid for this. This is what we wanted to do anyway. We want to be clubhouses again. So that was there was a couple cases of that, uh, and then there was. Uh, some clubhouses from from communities uh, that well, there were some working groups from clubhouses uh, that had closed, and there were some people that were you know members that were still kind of involved with each other, still maintained relationships with each other. You know, we're talking about the good old days where they had the clubhouse to go to and and all that stuff, and they wanted to get something going again in their town, uh, and they did. So there was there was some of that stuff, and then there was also just that that uh, awareness now because of these publications about billing oh, what's this clubhouse model thing? I've never heard about that before. Well, it doesn't matter. We've been around since the late 40s. Uh, for some people, obviously, uh, still never heard of clubhouse. And uh, it still seems really, really new to them, which is great. Uh, so we had uh, several clubhouses open up in towns like Maryville and, and Terre Haute and Vincennes where there weren't clubhouses before. So that was really cool as well. Uh, those were uh, largely auspice agencies that were looking for something uh, to do with their they're folks, you know, you got people living in group homes or you got folks in between appointments that are just sort of isolating the community. You know, you want to do something for those folks. What are you going to do? Hey, let's find our best options. Obviously to us anyway, that's clubhouse. So really the, the revival of, you know, the original clubhouses of uh, Indiana and, and really the members wanted their clubhouses back their their place to belong really. Um, 
that's that's really amazing um, that they were able to pull together and start getting it going again, and ultimately, um, you know, strengthen the coalition um, back to, you know, somewhere closer to where it was after um, going through all of that. I find I find the uh, increase in interest uh, not surprising, given that there was money to pay for it. I think this is always one of the major, uh, you know, stumbling blocks for us. Is how are we going to get new clubhouses open? There's there's no money for that. Well, if you could say, well, yeah, you might not get paid in the first year, but after a couple of years, sure, you get reimbursed for that. I, I think that's an easier case to make for folks that are either going to volunteer to start up an independent clubhouse or uh, make an investment in the case of an auspice agency to start a clubhouse. Definitely an investment, you know, when, when you look at what a clubhouse can be for their community, um, you know, even if it is um, a new concept to people in the community, it's, it's, it's proven and it, it works. Um, so we are at like 2016, 2017, uh, kind of, what was the number check again when we're talking about that that um, year for clubhouses? So I think we were at seven in 2016. Uh, that happened pretty quick. Um, and then throughout that period of time, uh, we continued to grow uh, up to 12 was the, the number that we got to uh, prior to the pandemic. So that was, um, that was, a, you know, a couple clubhouses a year, you know, maybe one a year or so kind of opening up, uh, startup groups, getting interested, uh, looking for buildings, things like that. Slow, manageable growth, I think is what was happening. Um, we're a coalition that didn't have any one person to kind of help with that growth. You know, all this, all the mentoring was going to be from Clubhouse International or from the directors and members and staff of, of uh, accredited clubhouses in the state. So that kind of growth where you're kind of adding one a year or so, um, that was manageable. That was good. And then of course, COVID, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, so COVID, you know, it was an interesting time for clubhouses. Um, you know, it's one of those things that just the world was in a very fragile state and you had, you know, your coalition and, and clubhouses in Indiana had made such uh, growth and, you know, kind of had already been through so much. What did COVID look like for you and what were some of those challenges that um, kind of made or break it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, the most distressing thing is when our friends get sick. Um, you know, we would not only from my, you know, my home clubhouse, uh, but from around the coalition, uh, hearing about folks that were getting sick, folks that were dying, um, just being in, the, I mean, you expect that in the clubhouse to some degree, you know, you, if your community is big enough, uh, you're going to lose friends, everybody, you're going to, it's going to happen. Um, but that was a particularly frightening time. And, uh, those, those calls, those messages were coming in, uh, you know, often and trying to decide, uh, what was, what was worse is, is the isolation of, of closing our doors, uh, worse than the, the possibility of spreading a deadly virus. Like I, you know, what, what do you do? How do you do it? Nobody had ever been through this before. 
nobody, nobody had, and everybody's doing their best. Absolutely. Everybody's doing their best. And, and our strength in the coalition was that, you know, we had been doing uh, meetings every two months uh, prior to uh, COVID. And then all of a sudden we were doing uh, coalition meetings twice a week because not only did we not really have anything to do, but we had these incredibly unique problems uh, that we just had never considered before. We'd never questioned, you know, uh, how many people should be in our building. It should it should always be as many people as possible. Uh, there's no doubt about it. We we never uh, worried about this stuff before about putting people in vans. No, of course we're going to go to the movies this weekend. You know, of course we're going to pack the van full of people. And suddenly that's not okay. And and trying to navigate that um, as a, as an individual is difficult. As a clubhouse community. And uh, as a coalition, it's also uh, very difficult. So we did our best. We closed often uh, when we knew that we had more than a couple people that were sick at a time when it looked like the source was from one of our clubhouses. We closed. Uh, auspice agencies, uh, as far as some of our the other clubhouses in in the coalition, you know, the auspice ones, uh, they their marching orders were coming directly from the parent organization, so they didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, and some things we're trying to do as much as they possibly could within uh, the edicts of their parent organizations. So uh, it was a lot of sharing of, of where we were at, what was going on, figuring out what worked, experimenting, uh, finding out that our experiments don't work, uh, trying to remind ourselves to to reach out as much as we possibly can and, and think of creative ways of not only um, touching base with members, but getting folks involved, whether that be virtual work or uh, you know, care packages, sending out Easter baskets. We did that for a holiday one year, uh, all, all kinds of things, but we were sharing that and, and uh, different clubhouses adopted different things, however they could, uh, whatever made sense for them. Um, but that's what it looked like. It looked like a lot more communication. Uh, it looked like uh, we were all in it kind of together, even though we were more apart than we'd ever been. Uh, we were kind of more, uh, we'd coalesced more, around safety of our clubhouses more than we ever had before as well. So that's, I mean, that's what it looked like. But the reality was there weren't people in the building. And in Indiana, uh, it was, it, there was a very limited amount of telehealth uh, billing that we could do through Medicaid. It was available for a while and then they cut it off. And uh, even that telehealth billing was, was not going to pay the bills. It wasn't going to do it. And uh, the clubhouses that had a little bit of money tucked away in reserve um, quickly ran out of that money. And we were looking around saying, what are we going to do now? <clears throat> so uh, the leadership of the coalition that time uh, decided to apply for an American Rescue Plan Act grant that was available. Uh, that was administered through, again, the Department of Mental Health and Addictions, the same Department of Mental Health and Addictions that shut us down largely in 2010. Uh, now held uh, the keys to potentially our, our salvation here. Uh, so we wrote the grant, and I think largely because we had made such a stink uh, earlier, you know, back in, in 2010 and the years after that, uh, they they gave us that grant. It was $1.3 over two years, front-loaded with enough money to uh, get anybody that was, you know, sort of in the red back into the black and, and able to pay their bills again. Uh, so not only was that important, uh, but they, they also put a little bit of money in there for growth. We'd never got a grant that size before. We'd never had an ask that large before. And a goal of the coalition 
for a long time um, was to hire a staff person. So uh, that would manage a lot of a lot of the stuff that the clubhouses themselves just can't get to because you know the TV blew up and the toilet blew up, and and there's a crisis and and the half of the staff are sick and whatever you know whatever it is, uh, we all struggle with similar issues I'm, I'm sure, but um, there was they put money in there for for this coordinator position, so it was a goal of the coalition and to be honest it had been a goal of mine. Uh, since not long after I started at Carriage House, you know, as a generalist to kind of move into like more coalition work. I'd gone to a coalition meeting uh, a couple of years after I started and was really into it and really was dreaming about what I could do to help the coalition um, and thinking about what might come next for me in my career someday. Well, it took 15 years or so, but <clears throat> um, there was money for that position. We asked uh, Clubhouse International to help us with the interview process, uh, members and staff from around the coalition were on a committee along with uh, Lee and Joel from Clubhouse International. And for some terrible reason, they decided to hire me. I'm not really sure why, but uh, my my position is is paid for, at least in uh, mostly by by that ARPA grant. And uh, thankfully, we've, we've actually had that grant continued for another two years. So uh, people have to be dealing with me for at least that long. You know... A couple of years back, you had mentioned that there was you guys did a lot of work to try to get the funding back, and then you know it's time again during COVID area to get another funding to pull you out of it again. And uh, I think all things happen for a reason, and you know putting that work in paid off long term. It's those long term investments we look at, just like um, you know when you were talking about. The, the clubhouses and their communities, it is that long-term investment. You might not get paid off at first, but it definitely will pay off. We've talked about the COVID area. Um, what about um, after COVID? What did that growth look like with your remaining funding for the startups and the clubhouses, and then also moving into uh, kind of breakdown of your attendance? Sure, yeah. So... Uh, we, we lost a couple out of the coalition, uh, during COVID or just after COVID or during COVID. I mean, it's, I guess the pandemic's over now, but you know, effects were, were long lasting and will be for everybody. So we lost a, a, a startup, um, and we, we lost the clubhouse, uh, whose auspice agency just decided not to, uh, pursue accreditation anymore. They wanted to go a different direction. So as, as much as we would have liked to keep those those programs going, those clubhouses going, um, that just wasn't in the cards. So there was a little bit of, of shrinking. Um, but basically, uh, I, I got connected. I got connected to the players at the state, uh, the folks at DMHA, the folks at Medicaid, the folks at the Indiana Recovery Network, and they they helped us kind of raise our visibility. Um, did did uh, an interview for a newsletter, uh, did some other interviews, uh, talked to some legislators, uh, held about as many meetings as I possibly could, sat on the uh, some of the steering committees for our 988 rollout here in Indiana. Um, and that that sort of constant reminder that Clubhouse exists and it's back and it's still happening and all that stuff um, was in the mind of, of the folks uh, that I was talking to. And, and that was the point, I think, of, of my job was to raise our visibility, raise the awareness of what we're doing. And that's an ongoing process. As far as I'm concerned, that should never stop. Uh, 
on Thursday of this week, I'll be down at the state house talking to legislators, uh, handing them uh, reminders of how cool we are and, and ask for support for startups. Cause that that's one thing that um, isn't in our new Medicaid code that we have that's catered just to clubhouses. We don't have money for folks that are starting up. Uh, you have to be accredited to get reimbursed. So how are we going to manage that? There's plenty of work to do, including uh, that and then lots of other things as well, as far as getting more organized and um, getting more people involved and more buy-in. But that's largely what we've been doing since is um, talking to um, community mental health centers, talking to NAMI groups, talking to anybody, um, doing our booths down at the at, uh, state conferences in Indianapolis, uh, making sure that people know we exist. And if there's any sniff of interest, uh, then we go for it. <laughs> I get folks connected to Clubhouse International as soon as it seems like uh, anybody's serious. And Jack's been, uh, Jack Yatsko has been really gracious in, in talking with folks. And we've been able to get uh, three more startups going right now. And we've had interest from a lot of other uh, cities and towns throughout the state that there just aren't resources right now to really get anything off the ground. But those conversations continue regardless. Uh, we're bringing in working groups uh, into the fold, into our coalition meetings. Uh, we've had folks uh, that are working groups, startups, go to uh, the national conference in, in Utah uh, last year. So that's been the work, is trying to get everybody on the same page, uh, using me and my email address and my phone number basically is kind of the, the starting point, and then getting people connected to whatever is going to help them grow as, as a community from there. As far as existing clubhouses are concerned, um, I, I get in my car and I drive all over the state. So uh, there's, there's 11 clubhouses in the coalition right now, uh, the startup groups as well, and um, they're, they're scattered all over the northern and southern part of the state. So I go at least twice a year to each clubhouse and spend some time and talk about uh, what I would do if I was struggling with some of the issues that they are. Uh, thankfully, um, I've been on the faculty since 2021, so I, I generally have a pretty good idea of what the faculty team might be looking for when they're coming into a clubhouse and can kind of share that experience with uh, the coalition clubhouse you know what, if I was coming in here for an accreditation, I'd probably look at your TE numbers. As a matter of fact, I know I'd look at your TE numbers. So what can we do uh, to, to bring those numbers back up to that 20% that we know uh, is kind of, you know, a, a guideline? Uh, maybe, maybe that means I'll help you do a pitch. Maybe we'll, we'll do a mock uh, TE pitch. Maybe it's getting folks connected to Amber Weber at Clubhouse International and, and having her share her extensive knowledge on the issue. She's great. And it's helped a lot of our coalition clubhouses. Um, it just kind of depends, uh, and it's, it's catered to each individual situation. No two clubhouses are the same, so um, my advice is is never the same. And generally speaking, I I'm not the guy that's going to have all the answers, but I know a bunch of people that do. So one of my main functions is connecting people to the folks I I know are the experts in a certain issue. So. If you're struggling with attendance, here's here's kind of where the wisdom is on this thing. Here's what I would do, but let's not stop there. Let me get you connected with these folks over here that have a really robust outreach program. Um, they're they're kicking butt with it. You really need to talk to those guys. So uh, that coordinating the collaboration between clubhouses is is largely what I do and what our coalition's been up to uh, since I started. That is a lot, a lot of meaningful work. 
uh, all put in one area. Um, and, you know, your coalition has a great deal of resiliency uh, over the, the, the time it started to now. Um, and probably, you know, it's been through a lot with the just overall losing funding and then gaining funding. Um, so there is one last question I, I do have for you. And um, it is how does Indiana's uh, Clubhouse Coalition uh, best utilize uh, member involvement with uh, from existing clubhouses uh, to increase the number of clubhouses in the state of Indiana. So there, I know you do a lot of work, um, but how is it best utilized for the, the members to either get involved or just use their skills? Sure. So I think each clubhouse, you know, it, that I've ever been to, there's at least one or two members who have their sites not just on their own clubhouse community or on their own recovery or whatever but the the recovery of others who they've never met before from a, from places far away you know uh, folks that get kind of so bought into the thing that they believe and they know and they're right that they are changed themselves they can become an agent of change and want to get involved in statewide advocacy have an interest in that Anyway, maybe from before, maybe it kind of grew out of uh, seeing what their clubhouse can do as far as advocacy is concerned. Um, so I think, you know, for me, going to each individual clubhouse and meeting with members and, and finding out who's interested in helping, who's your kind of core people for uh, really wanting to do this work, because it's not for everybody. I, you know, um, sometimes it's it's just enough to come in and, and not be lonely. We all know that. Uh, but for some folks... They really want to be kind of at the cutting edge of what's happening with advocacy statewide, nationwide, worldwide. Um, so figuring out who those folks are, I think, is is kind of my first step. And then uh, connecting those people with the startup groups. Uh, so much work has happened uh, with the coalition as far as helping to bring along our startups um, or or maybe clubhouses that are just kind of getting going, that are looking for some pointers and, and having that member perspective uh folks that have been around for a while that, you know, they've been successful in their own clubhouses and they, they've seen the power um, that it has and, and, and sharing that with those startup groups or those newer clubhouses, getting those, those members energized uh, in that work. Practically speaking, uh, we have several committees in Clubhouse Indiana uh, that members sit on that uh, help us do a good chunk of, of the work. Uh, this year, we're going to be focused on, on advocacy. It's a, uh, an election year. Uh, we know a lot of our state representatives, state senators are up for election. Uh, and we also know that our state budget kind of gets written before the election. It's largely done before the election happens. So we know we need to advocate. And I I don't represent uh, the districts of Southern Indianapolis or the districts in Terre Haute. I live in Fort Wayne. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay talking to a Fort Wayne representative. And I'm okay talking to a representative um, from another place as long as there's a member with me who actually lives there, who can talk uh, to that that politician about what this means to them. So uh, getting members to tell their stories uh, to, to folks that are in power, um, helping organize some of the literature that we put together, um, friends have helped me you know, put together the agenda for, for coalition meetings that we have once a month. Uh, there's there's lots of opportunities, and thankfully we live in this age now where 
uh, having a meeting with somebody is, is about as difficult as turning on your computer. So there's a lot of opportunities uh, to, to get involved for, for anybody who's interested in making an impact statewide. doesn't matter where you are. That's, that's largely how we do it to this point. If anybody has any better ideas, man, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, so much to do for sure. That sounds like a great way you're utilizing your members and especially looking at, um, you know, the, the location of your members too. Um, especially, you know, if you're not in the same city as that person, maybe getting them to come out and, and speak with you side by side. Um, and also if any, um, clubhouse member or clubhouse, um, in general has any questions for, uh, Michael, um, his website, uh, the Indiana Coalition website, has a way to contact him as well. So um, that's a really good way of doing it. It's www.clubhouse-indiana.org. Absolutely. My email is on there. Uh, The coalition phone number is on there. Love to talk to you if you have any questions. Love to help. I've really enjoyed hearing about the the triumphs of this coalition and um, it just shows how coalitions are so important within each state to um, grow their clubhouse model and um, the affect the members that are in each of these clubhouses. So uh, with that, I really want to thank uh, Michael for taking time out of his day today and um, joining us. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.